Hey, the, the last few weeks, boy, troubling uh, events in the news. Random shoot, uh, two shootings, one in Dayton, one in El Paso. Jeffrey Epstein uh, in prison, commits suicide into all kinds of trafficking. And, you know, to me, these are signs of a godless culture. When, when you can determine, you know, I don't even know you, but I'm angry and I'm going to shoot you, you, you set yourself up to be God. Where do you get off to, to just shooting somebody? You don't even know with no known cause. Or, or trafficking people, using people. It's a godless culture. And my question is, how do we live? How do we function in this kind of culture? We're going to talk about that today. We're going to, we're going to look at a godless act. So if you've got a Bible, if you'd open it to Genesis 34, we're going to go all the way through this. We're going to wrestle with this question, how do we live in a godless culture? We've been in Genesis a while, quick overview, Genesis 1 to 11, God creates. And humanity says, no, I don't think so. I don't think we're going to live under your direction. Um, and it's most seen they cre create a tower in Genesis 11 to make a name for themselves. And God, that's not happening. He disperses them. And in Genesis 12, he picks out a couple, Abraham and Sarah. And he said, you know what? If you follow me, I, I will make your name great. I will make a name for you. You don't have to make a name for yourself. I'll make a name for you. And in fact, I'm going to grow up a whole nation, a whole lineage of people through you. So you got to leave what you know. you got to go to a place you don't know. you got to follow me. And, and the, the kicker is they didn't have a son. And, and it took 24 years. And they had a son. His name was Isaac. And he married Rebecca. And they had twins and Jacob and Esau. And God determined that Jacob would be the one through whom he worked. And so Jacob's in process because Jacob is a, a deceiver. Uh, his life is full of deception. God is at work in his life. Um, and he ends up marrying two women, one he gets deceived into marrying Leah, and then the one, Leah's sister Rachel is the one who he wanted, and, and through their servant girl, they, they, uh, servants, they ended up, Jacob ends up having 12 sons and, and uh, one daughter through four women. Well, that daughter's name is Dinah, and, and she is, wants to go out and see friends. N nothing, that's typical, and, and we picked that up in verse 1. Now, Dinah, the daughter of Leah, so that's, that's one of Jacob's wives, whom she had born to Jacob, went out to visit the daughters of the land. Uh, somebody wants to go visit friends. That, that's, those of you who have kids, daughters, sons, they go visit friends, that, that should be no deal, no problem. But they're living, remember, they're living in a godless culture. People have pushed back. They said, no, I think we'll do it our own way. And we see a godless act in verse 2. When Shechem, the son of Hamor, the Hivite, the prince of the land, saw her, he took her and lay with her by force. Okay, that's a sexual assault. I see that woman. She's attractive to me. I want her. Well, what if she doesn't, what if she's not interested? What if she's not interested in you? That, that doesn't matter. I want her. So I'll force myself on her. That's godlessness. That's I'm in charge. I don't care about you. I'm going to take what I want. That's what happens in a godless culture. Uh, verse 3, he's, he's a confused man because it says he was deeply attracted to Dinah, Dinah, the daughter of Jacob, and he loved the girl. That's a funny way of showing love. I'll just force myself. I don't care what you want. I'm going to force myself on you. 
And he spoke tenderly to her. She may be confused. Some mixed messages here. Um, So Shechem spoke to his father Hamor, saying, get me this young girl for a wife. Talk about a spoiled kid. Hey, Dad, this is what I want. Go get it. I get what I want. I I, I do what I want. Verse 5, now Jacob, remember Jacob's Dinah's father, heard that he had defiled Dinah, his daughter, but his sons were with his livestock in the field. So Jacob kept silent until they came in. Silent? Your daughter was just raped? And you're silent and you're going to wait for your sons, her brother, to come in? Jacob goes passive on this. And we'll talk about that passivity, how it impacts things. You're not going to speak up. You're not going to demand some kind of justice. Then Hamor, the father of Shechem, went out to Jacob to speak with him. He, he wants to work a deal. Now, now, what's the problem here with the intermarriage? Let, let me say, it, it's not ethnic. It's spiritual. Back in Deuteronomy 7, verse 3, we see that, that God forbid his people from marrying others who worship false gods. And, and that continues in the New Testament. God is clear. He wants his people marrying others of like beliefs. And and so if you take that back, if you figure you marry somebody you date, don't be dating non-believers. Now, I came to Christ as a freshman in college, February of my freshman year, and uh, got to know the guys who led me to the Lord. and, And I was still writing letters to a girl in high school who really wanted to have nothing to do with me, but that's beside the point. And, and I told this guy who led me to the Lord about that, and he, and he, for the first time, I hear this thing, hey, Andy, you ought to, biblically, you only date Christians. You know if she's a Christian. Well, I don't think so. But I thought, you date, you're going to date Christians? That's about the dumbest thing I've ever heard. I thought, I'm, I'm struggling as it is, and you're going to narrow my field? I don't think so. So for a year and a half, I kind of dated whoever. And finally, in my junior year, uh, my, my social network kind of fell through. I won't go through the circumstances. And I got very involved with a group on campus called Campus Crusade, now known as Crew. And I got my first crusade crush. And I asked this girl out a couple times, and she got to know me for who I was and wanted nothing to do with me. For good reason. I had a lot of growing to do. But you know what? You know what those two dates did for me? It convinced me I'm never going out with somebody who's not a Christian again. Because I saw the difference. And the principle holds because the person with whom you met her, you better share the values. Like when you're raising kids or you're deciding how you're going to spend your time and how you spend your money, it's hard if you're on a different page and you don't value God in the same way. And I often ask that, parents, when your son or daughter gets to 18 years old and they're leaving the house, what do you want in place? Do you want them to be a starter on the volleyball team? Do you want to be a 32 in the ACT, uh, first chair at Clarinet, or, or, do you, or is the priority 
a dynamic relationship with Christ, if you're not on the same page with your spouse, that's a challenge. So God calls us not to intermarry, and that's the deal that's going on here. Shechem and Hamor worship different gods. They're pagans, and they don't worship the God of Israel, and the God of Israel wants nothing to do that with that. Now, remember the sons, Dinah's brothers, they haven't heard of it. But they're going to get word of it in verse 7. It says, now the sons of Jacob came in from the field, and when they heard it, and the men were grieved, and they were very angry, because he had done a disgraceful thing in lying with Jacob's daughter, for such a thing ought not to be done. Yeah, they're angry. We're going to see this anger play out. But Hamar spoke with them. Now, Hamar is going to go around Jacob the father, and he's going to the brothers to see if he can get their sister's hand in marriage. So you see Jacob's passivity. He has just stepped back, and these brothers are stepping into the role. Now, Hamar spoke with them, saying, The soul of my son Shechem longs for your daughter. Please give her to him in marriage. Intermarry with us. Give, us your, give your daughters to us and take our daughters for yourself. Thus you shall live with us, and the land shall be open before you. Live and trade in it and acquire property in it. So they're asking for this intermarriage. Shechem also said to her father and to her brothers, if I find favor in your sight, then I will give whatever you say to me. Ask me ever so much bridal payment and gift, and I will give it according to you as you say to me, but give me the girl in marriage. Okay, so the brothers have leverage in this deal. They have leverage. Because the Dad is beholden to the son. The son is spoken. I want this woman. So dad said, hey, I, I want to hold my family together. I want to please my son. I'll give you anything. Now, how are the brothers right now? What are they feeling? Anger. Anger. But look what they do. Verse 13. But Jacob's sons answered Shechem, and his father Hamor with what? Deceit. You raped our sister. We're going we're gonna to deal deceitfully with you. People, that's called revenge. You did me wrong. I, I, I'm going to do you wrong. Because he had defiled Dinah, his sister. So how's the deception going to play out? Well, here we go. Verses 14 to 17. They said to them, we cannot do this thing to give our sister to one who is uncircumcised, for that would be a disgrace to us. Only on this condition will we consent to you, if you will become like us and that every male of you be circumcised. Then we will give our daughters to you and we will take your daughters for ourselves and we will live with you and become one people. But if you will not listen to us to be circumcised, then we will take our daughter and go. Now what's... How are they going to deal? What did we find out in verse 13? How are they going to deal with these people? With what? With deception. And their deception is going to center around circumcision. Now back in the day, circumcision was a beautiful thing. When God went into covenant with Abraham and he promised himself to him, he said, I want you and your descendants to have a sign that you always remember that you're my people. And so the foreskin was removed from the male organ. This, This is a a beautiful picture that, that we have a relationship with God. These brothers now are going to take that and use that deceptively to get revenge. But remember, they got a father and a son who are, hey, anything you want, anything you want, we'll do it because we really want 
to marry your sister. So, verse 18, now their words seemed reasonable to Hamor and Shechem, Hamor's son. The young man did not delay to do the thing because he was delighted with Jacob's daughter. Now he was more respected than all the household of his father. So, so he's, he's already circumcised, gotten himself circumcised. But you've got to convince the rest of the men in the country. And that's, that's going to be a tough sell. So what are you going to say? What are you going to say? Well, here's what they say. Verse 20. So Hamor and his son Shechem came to the gate of their city and spoke to the men of their city, saying, These men are friendly with us, therefore let them live in the land and trade it in. For behold, the land is large enough for them. Let us take their daughters in marriage and give our daughters to them. Only on this condition will the men consent to to us to live with us, to become one people, that every male among us be circumcised as they are circumcised. Now, you're going to have to sell me on that. If I'm an older male who's been uncircumcised, I've got to get circumcised. So what's in it for me? Here's what's in it. Verse 23, will not their livestock and their property and all their animals be ours? Only let us consent to them, and they will live with us. So, so they're playing to greed, and we're going to work through deception. We're going to, we're going to incorporate them and, and rip them off and take their stuff. So verse 24, all who went out of the gate of the city, listen to Hamor and his son Shechem, and every male will circumcise all who went out of the gate of this city. I have a chance to get rich. I have a chance to get rich. So, so I'll play. I mean, there is godlessness to go around. Remember, godlessness is, there's no God, I'm living for myself. Everybody's guilty here. Everybody wants to get what they can out of this world, and so they're doing whatever to think about me. And that never works well. Verse 25. Now, it came about on the third day, when they were in pain, that two of Jacob's sons, Simeon and Levi, Dinah's brothers, each took his sword and came upon the city unawares and killed every male. That's revenge gone bad. That's anger out of control. But they're not done. They're not done. They killed Hamor and his son Shechem with the edge of the sword and took Dinah from Shechem's house. And we wonder, why is she there? Is she there by force or is she there against her will? We don't know. And went forth. Okay, maybe, but they take the whole city, every male. Jacob's sons then came upon the slain and looted the city because they had defiled their sister. They took their flocks and their herds and their donkeys and that which was in the city and that which was in the field, and they captured and looted all the wealth even their little ones and their wives, even all that was in the house. They got rich off the deal. Anger out of control, revenge, I'll take my own revenge, I'll call my own shots, and I'll line my pocket too. Remember, it's a godless culture. They don't answer to anybody. And I got a chance to get rich? Yeah, I'll jump on that. I can justify it with my revenge and hey, things got out of control. That's the way revenge is. It knows no limits. Here's the problem. Verse 30. Then Jacob said to Simeon and Levi, you have brought trouble on me by making me odious among the inhabitants of the land, among the Canaanites, the Perizzites. And my men being few in number, they will gather together against me and attack me, and I will be destroyed, I and my household. Remember, he's got 12 sons. They're not very big. 
And these are developed people, and, and you've just made everybody mad. See, at, at Jesus' arrest, Peter pulled out a sword and cut off a servant's ear. And Jesus healed the servant, and he turned to Peter and said, put away your sword. Because you live by the sword, you're going to die by the sword. Okay, you got your revenge, but word's going to get out. It's going to get on the internet. People are going to hear about this. You guys have made me odious, and we're, we're, we're going to be living in this land. But they should, said, should he treat our sister as a harlot? So we're asking this question. How do we live in a godless society? And we're seeing godlessness all around us. And to do that, we're going to God's word, and we're going to back to a godless act. You ask me, Andy, how far back does violence go? How far back does assault go? It, it, goes, it goes back to the beginning of time, back to the point that humanity rejected God and said, I'm going to live for myself. Okay, if I'm going to live for myself, I'm going to take what's yours whether you like it or not. So that's the kind of culture we're living in, and that's the world we're living in. And we're, asked the quest, we're asking the question, how should we live? Well, let me tell you two things from this passage that we, shouldn't, that we should reject. In a godless culture, we should reject passivity that we saw in Jacob, and we should reject revenge that we saw in the brothers, because that didn't accomplish Jack. Brought some short-lived satisfaction, but it's raised up a whole lot of anger, and, and where does this thing go? Where does this thing go? Okay, great, great. So we know what not to do. Can you give us any idea what to do? Let me draw a principle from chapter 35, first five verses. Remember, they're, they're odious in the sight. They're small, and they're surrounded by these people, and, and God's got some, some counsel for them. And here it is in verse 35, 1 to 4. Then God said to Jacob, Arise, go to Bethel, and live there, and make an altar there to God, who appeared to you where you fled from your brother Jacob, your brother Esau. So Jacob said to his household and to all who were with him, put away the foreign gods which are among you and purify yourselves and change your garments. And let us arise and go up to Bethel and I will make an altar there to God who answered me in the day of my distress and has been with me wherever I've gone. So they gave to Jacob all the foreign gods. Okay, we're putting away the, all these other foreign gods and we're going to focus on the one true God which they had in their rings which were in their ears and Jacob hid them under the oak which was near so he's saying, okay, I need you guys to move. We need to get reconnected because obviously you're not, you're as godless as these pagans you're living with. We, you need to get right with God. There's a problem though. Remember, they're small and they just committed genocide and people are mad. And, and as they move, they, they could be slaughtered by any number of the people. But here's what happens in verse 5. As they journeyed, there was a great terror among the cities which were around them and they did not pursue the sons of Jacob. Why was there great terror? Because they were people of God. They trusted God in hard circumstances. And living in this godless culture means we're going to have to trust God. And we're going to have to believe Him to navigate circumstances, to bring about justice. And I'd suggest to you that ultimately, Jesus is the champion of justice. Look, when he went to the cross, Hebrews 12, 2 says he endured the cross. Uh, John 18, he was being arrested, and Jesus said, who are you looking for? And they said, Jesus, Nazareth. He said, I am he. And he knocked everybody down. It just The power of his name just knocked everybody down. So Jesus could have walked. He, he embraced the cross. He was not passive. 
And Jesus, yet yeah, Jesus would not take revenge. When he was on the cross, he said, Father, forgive them. They mocked him. They called him. And he, Father, forgive them. Now, 600 years, 700 years before Jesus was born, the prophet Isaiah talked about him. And I'd like you to read, I'd like to read these verses with you. They're not, uh, it says, Behold my servant, whom I behold, talking about Jesus, my chosen one in whom my soul delights. I put my spirit upon him, and he will bring forth what to the nations? Justice. I would argue we're ultimately going to find justice in Jesus. Go ahead and keep going. He will not cry out or raise his voice. Now, he's going to bring about justice. Remember, justice, you're going to, man, you're going to, you're going to be heard, but not, not Jesus. He will not cry out or raise his voice, nor make his voice heard in the street. Next verse. A bruised reed he will not break. Now, now how does that fly in our world? Remember, he's going to bring justice. Reed's pretty flimsy. Jesus isn't bringing justice. He's not going to be squashing people. He's not even going to break a reed. And a dimly burning wick he will not extinguish. Remember, you, you can put that thing out. But he will bring, faithfully bring forth justice. One more verse. He will not be disheartened or crushed. Until he has established, what in the earth? Justice in the earth. And the crossroads will wait expectantly for his rule. So we're asking this question. How are we to live in a godless culture? And we live in a godless culture. We're to reject passivity. And we're going to reject revenge. And we're going to follow Jesus' lead in seeking justice. We're going to follow Jesus' lead. See, I can't give you a prescribed set for, for every situation because everything's different. Every situation demands a different thing. So, so Jesus, what would you have? And, and what are the laws of the land? And how do those laws fit with you? We're going to follow Jesus to bring around justice. And, and, and that suggests we're not going to deny it. We're not going to pretend it doesn't happen. We're going to speak into it. But we're not going to launch out on our own. We're not going to take our own revenge. Now, this passage is talking about culture, society as a whole, and, and, and huge application there for what is going on. It also has, has personal application, right? Because we, we have conflict with people where we don't think we have been treated justly. Maybe it's a, it's a spouse or it's a child or it's a boss. Uh, my wife says to me, Andy, you have an overworked sense of justice. Boy, if I don't think something's right, I am torqued. I just, it just bothers me. And that's not to say we're not to follow Jesus and we're not to be stepping out and looking to bring about justice under his leading. But until he comes back, we're going to deal with injustice. And that doesn't mean we accept it. That doesn't mean we step into it. That doesn't mean we speak against it. But justice is ultimately going to happen when Jesus comes back to earth. In the meantime, we work for it. We seek him. We follow his leading. We reject passivity. We re reject revenge. But we know we're going to fall short. This culture is going to fall short until Jesus is back. So what do we do? As people who, as Jesus' followers, are supposed to be about justice, I would suggest we need to intentionally put ourselves under Jesus' leading to let him change us. January 1997, Hope and I went to uh, Costa Rica for language school. We're going to be lit missionaries in Latin America and the first day we got there, um, the director of the, the institute spoke to us and said, 
North Americans, Europeans, Canadians, there's a different value system here. It's relationship over efficiency. It's people over time. If you can't live with that value system, go home. You're not going to change it. It's who the Latin culture is. I thought, okay, okay. I'm going to intentionally then put myself under Latin leadership, Costa Rican in this case, to let them lead me and guide me. And, and hopefully my values will change. So about week five, I go to a, a men's Bible study, and there's about 20 guys there. And I can't say much. I can only understand a little bit. At the end, a guy named Don Ricardo. Now, Don, if you know anything about Latin, uh, Latin America, Spanish, it's, it's a term of, of um, respect. He comes up and he, he speaks to me. And again, I have very, very limited Spanish. And he said, le gusta baseball? I don't know much, but you can understand baseball, baseball. And, and I'm able to go, see, <laughs> see. Sí. Sí. So I, I'm limited in my Spanish. So he goes, he goes, a mí me gustan los Colorado Rockies. Now, now can you, you guys haven't had Spanish. Can you, can you follow that conversation? So, so then what he does, and, and the Colorado Rockies that year had a bunch of Latin players who were big home run hitters. So he goes, Andres Galarraga, big cat, boom, home run. Vinny Castilla, boom, home run. Dante Bichette, boom, home run. And there's about five guys he works with. Why did we have that kind of conversation? Because that's all I could handle. But I thought, you would never do this in an American culture, but, but this is different values, right? What is it? It's people over efficiency, relationship over time. God bless this man. So my Spanish gets up and running, and he's a barber. And about six weeks later, it's time for me to get a haircut, so I communicate. I, I need to get a haircut. So he says, why don't you come tomorrow at 9? I know the culture well enough not to come at 9. I come at 9.30. He isn't there. 10 o'clock, he's not there. 10.30, he's not there. And about 11.15, he rolls in. In the U.S., what would I have said? Hey, hey, tell him. Tell him. I'll catch him another time. But I'm not in the U.S., am I? I'm in Latin America. And what have I decided to do? I'm going to put myself under a Costa Rican. So I wait. And he rolls in. And we sit down. And I'm ready to get my hair cut. But ain't the way it works in Costa Rica. Got to have a conversation. Tell me how good my Spanish is and how great it is to have him here and, and how good my wife's Spanish is. And I, all the time I'm thinking, just cut my hair, cut my hair. But this is culture. And I've chosen to put myself under Latin Americans, Costa Ricans. Why? That my values would be changed. What am I pleading with you for? That you would put yourself under Jesus Christ. That when it comes to justice, you would let him change your values. If you'll do that, Jesus, I want to be like you. I want to be your champion. I want to be part of bringing justice in this world. And it's going to start with the change of values. Would you do that? You know, I'm going to pray, and then the worship team's going to come up here. And they're going to sing a song, and the first line of the song is going to be, Do you believe the world is broken? Yeah, I do. I really do. Would you use that song as a prayer to launch out? 
Jesus, you are worthy. That's what the song is about. You are worthy to change me and to mold me and to shape me that I might be a minister of justice as you are a minister of justice. Would you do that? That we would reject the world's ways. We would reject revenge. We would reject passivity and we would say, Jesus, I'm following your lead because I believe you are bringing, all about bringing justice in this godless culture. Let me pray. And then they're going to come close with this last song. So Father... Uh, we live in a godless culture, and we get on our news apps, or we get online, and we see it, and people act as if they're God, and they can use people, and shoot people, and take people, and force themselves on people, and that is wrong, that is wrong, and we proclaim that. And in our humanity, we want to react by either going passive, just put our head in the sand, or, or lashing out in revenge, and, and that's not you. But we need you to lead us. We need you to change us. You said you want to bring justice in the nations. And yet we live in an imperfect world. But as much as we can, empowered by you, changed by you, we want to be those kind of people that are all about justice. Yeah, Lord, we live in a broken world. Uh, Would you use us in a broken world? And we believe you're worthy. So we choose to follow you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.